Awfully clumsy, Quick, said the junior custodian. It's a wonder you can walk and hold a wand at the same time. Ellen, growled his superior. No need to be unpleasant. Hello and welcome back once again to the Remedial Magic Podcast. My name's Brady and I have more energy this time than the last time that we recorded. I'm joined as always by my brother Baylor and our good friend Delbert and to be honest I listened to the most recent episode that came out and Delbert it sounded like you and I had died halfway through and I was barely able to mumble my way through the rest of the episode. I haven't listened to it, and I can't remember what it was, but uh, I'm sure that there was a time where we were not feeling great. It was because uh, we had recorded a episode of a different podcast right before, I think. Okay. I was wondering if that was the one you were talking about, and uh, yeah, that was a lot of talking in one session. It was also roughly the same temperature as... Uh, as Satan's bedroom in this room at the time. So. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what was going on that day. Like, it's not that bad right now, but that day it was like 80 degrees in here, which bad for us long. is hot. It's hot, hot right now. Especially. You sounded great, Baylor. Thank you. You carried that episode. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do try, you know. Uh, I was wondering if you are going to give a shameless plug to your energy drink there. That's why you said you had more energy, but uh, I understand the podcast life can be tiring at times. Listen, we can give a shout out to any energy drink if they pay us money. Yeah. For now, I'm drinking generic unbranded water. I see. Tingly water. Exactly. Tingly water. Ooh. Let's put that in the store. Let's put that in the shop. I feel like that would sell. I agree. Yeah. Some tingly water. I'm on board. (laughs) Uh, In Fantastic Beasts, they drink giggle water or whatever. So we can sell tingle water if we want to. Hell yeah can only imagine the slogans we'd go with that (laughs) at any rate we are back talking about alexandra quick and the thorn circle and one thing i liked about our last episode is we spent 30 minutes talking about other stuff in the harry potter universe and we don't really have anything to add to that today except for maybe a couple small points first being that we said that the new game hogwarts legacy would have online co-op That was just a misspeak on our part. Uh, It is, in fact, a game that is only single-player without online co-op, which is disappointing but doesn't really dampen my spirits about the game. Sad. Yeah. It's definitely a bummer, but, you know, now all three of us can go a different direction, and we can, you know, compare. compare It's true. I was talking to Delbert about this, but... I was thinking when the game came out, it would be fun if we just got a group of guys together and just sat around somebody's TV at their house and just played the game and talked about what was going on and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm still down for that. Also, if I play my character, I feel like it's only correct to play with my house, which is Slytherin. Sure. So that's where my character will be. It seems like you'll have the choice, and so my character will be starting in Ravenclaw for sure. Nice. Is there even like an opportunity to have like a aptitude test so it like matches your personality? Or I'm I mean, betting the game will have one. Right? I would think the game would have something like that, but if they don't, you could always go take the test on like the Wizarding World website and then use that result to influence the house you choose That's in true. game. I, I feel like it would that. be a really cool feature if they had you like take a quick intro test and then it said like 
acting as the sorting hat being like, hmm, I think you would do well in Hufflepuff. And then you can like say, I agree or I really want to be in this house. Yeah, kind of like yeah. the when Harry gets sorted, right? right? I have think that, that would kind be of a cool little scene to have. It would be neat. I don't, we're not going to talk about this very much, but I don't even know if you'll get sorted in the traditional way considering the main character you'll be playing as is coming into fifth year at Hogwarts. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I like the idea of that. The other thing I wanted to mention when we talked about that is that we said we thought that you would be there when Dumbledore was a student, but Baylor, as you pointed out in our group chat this week, it seems that we're going to be starting about two years before Dumbledore gets there, which means there's still a chance we could... Well, actually, that means that we'd you'd graduate Hogwarts and then Dumbledore would show up, right? Well, if we're starting on our fifth year, he would technically be a first year in our seventh year. Huh. I, so there's a small window of opportunity for an interaction with child Dumbledore, yeah. but... What I what the guy that I the video I watched he just was completely speculation you know he was uh, it was a video pointing out fifty five things you might have missed in the the gameplay or whatever um, he kind of was wondering if they would maybe release a sequel to the first game then and then that's when Dumbledore would arrive at Hogwarts or whatever but I don't know if that happened I guess I don't know we'll see. <laughs> I, if this game goes well, I can only imagine that they're going to continue expanding the universe through games like this, whether it's a sequel to this or whether they target something totally different. Me, for I would really love a remake or a remaster of the Quidditch game they released for like PlayStation 2 and the Game Boy Advance oh so long ago. That is one of my all-time favorite games that I had on my Game Boy still to this day. Yeah, it'd be extremely exciting if you could play Quidditch in this soon, you know, this up up and coming game. Listen, I agree, but since reading Alex Quick, I think Quidditch is kind of trash. Well, sure, like she but... points out the flaws, and she's right. <laughs> well, she's right. I mean, I've thought about the flaws for a long time, but I just think a Madden level Quidditch type game would be pretty fun. It would. It would be interesting, but boy, you got to remove the snitch. Or do something different. Yeah. yeah. Maybe have, maybe it's a catch and release snitch and they're worth 50 points and they don't end the game and there's just a timer. Sure. I mean, that's possibility or. Yeah. Make it like that race, Le Mans. So it's 24 hours of quidditch and you like go in shifts. So you have oh, a large that's interesting. team and every snitch catch is 50 points. Sure. Well, we'll workshop that when they give us a chance to design right. that game. Yeah. But regardless. Uh, the game's an exciting time for sure going forward, but currently in this time, we're talking about the 24th chapter of Alexander Quick and the Thorn Circle. This chapter is called Responsibility. Uh, last week, we talked about chapter 23, which was called Forgiveness. And in that chapter, Alex visited Dean Grimm's office where they had a little chit-chat about why Dean Grimm's sister was obliviating Alex's mom, and then Alex uh, piped off too hot to Dean Grimm, and Dean Grimm proceeded to uh, commit child abuse on Alex, and then after that, Alex got Anna to agree to help her find a way to get into the registrar's office, and that's basically what leads us into the chapter 
we're about to talk about. So, unless you guys have something else to discuss, I think perhaps we can just get right into it. Let's do it. I'm in, I'm down. I'm ready. All right. Well, in that case, Baylor, why don't you start the three-sentence summary? I'll go second, and then Delbert, you can finish it off. Alex and Anna scheme on how to get into the registrar's office without being caught. Alex meets a new house elf. After possibly having another murder attempt, Alex and her friends discuss what the right path to take is going forward. Essentially what happens is Constance and Forbearance tell Alex to stop or to let them help, and she says, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, not a very great conversation. <laughs> so, leading up to that, though, we do get some interesting stuff. The chapter begins right where the last chapter left off, essentially. We have Alex and Anna plotting this scheme to get into the registrar's office. And they do a lot of planning here, but what it comes down to is they don't even know where it is. Really, they think it's on the second floor where all the other administrative offices are, but they don't know for sure. And so Alex goes to visit her good friends Bran and Poe to ask them for their advice. And I just think this scene was kind of fun because we see Bran and Poe get a little bit uppity here and act as if (laughs) they're better. They're the better version of the house elves because of their job. Yeah, it's funny. Uh I also, you know, they're just interesting, interesting elves. They have an interesting personality. I would, I would beg to say they're a little bit more interesting than the elves we see in Harry, in the Harry Potter series myself. I mean, Dobby's pretty cool. Winky was kind of boring. I would say for the most part, but you got Dobby. I mean, Dobby's number one in the heart, right? So yeah. Rip. Well, something's in his heart. Something did definitely end up in his heart, that's for sure. But Alex goes to visit Brandon Poe, and while they can't really help her because they don't know either, what they did tell her is that she could go find a different elf if she went down to the basement of Charmbridge. And what do we know about the basement of Charmbridge at this point? Do we know anything? Has it even been mentioned before? The only thing I can think of is that's where the custodian offices are. But other than that, I don't recall hearing anything about it. Did yeah. we did we know that even prior to this chapter? I know that Alex has been in Journey's office a couple times, but I don't. I guess I don't know if I can't remember exactly if they said uh, that it was in the basement. I, I also cannot remember. Do you guys think Alex's plan that she? I guess she she makes a very fast and really not well-thought-out plan to go in the basement. Do you think that this ever had a chance of working? Because what she does is just wander downstairs and then yell, help, I'm lost. <laughs> uh, actually, I do think it was a decent plan overall just because she knew where the um, handyman, I've, what's the word, custodial staff was, and if she hasn't been down there for any of her classes or anything, then it's unlikely that anyone else is down there either. So, I mean, it was a secluded area where she knew the elves were, 
and she knew at least the people that likely would be down there weren't at that time. Yeah, I was I was thinking along the same lines. I think it was smart of her to pick a time when, like, she kind of studied uh, Thiel and, and Journey's movements a little bit and then made her plan where, oh, they're not going to be in the building at that time. So I think that that was a good idea. Um, I thought at first when she shouted, I'm lost, and the elf showed up, it seemed to be working good too because the elf kind of bought, you know, bit into the thing when she said, I'm looking for the registrar's office. I've never been there before. I'm lost or whatever. But then obviously it goes down from there. I mean, I guess I understand that, but why why would Alex think that anybody would help her get into a place that she already knows is like off limits to the students? That's that's the one part of this that I'm going this doesn't make sense. You're just announcing, after all the careful planning you and Anna have been doing, you're just announcing your intentions. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so regardless, she does go down to the basement. She does end up getting help from a house elf whose name is M. And the help is not very short-lived or long-lived because Alex asks M to tell her where the registrar's office is. M isn't being helpful. Alex then orders M to do so, which was a bold move on her part, I kind of thought. Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't really understand what she thought she was going to accomplish there either. Yeah. I mean, I liked the setup of the plan a little bit more than you it seems, but that uh kind of fell apart as it went through. So maybe she didn't put enough time thinking as far as what to do once it actually happens. Why? Alex already knows she can't order the house elves around. I just don't know why she's thinking in this moment that she can. Well, I think it's because she did, even though it wasn't ordering them, she did kind of bend Bran and Poe to her will at every possible turn. Like, oh, we will get the book for you. Oh, we will let you check it out behind the librarian's back. She did, but that was... I would argue that was way more well thought out because instead of ordering them... She kind of played both sides of the issue and convinced them that she was her, their friend and then used that trust to manipulate them. And here she's just going, I've never met you before. Take me here or else, it feels like. And for me, I just think that's a dumb plan, even for an 11-year-old. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it's obviously she thought out up until she got in the basement and encountered the elf and then it wasn't very well thought out after that. I also think that her only experience was Brandon Poe and they were obviously a little bit more friendly, I would say than M was initially at least. And, you know, a little bit more giving of the information. So I, I figure maybe she thought she could just head down there and talk to the, the elves the same way she kind of talked to Brandon Poe, but yeah, she definitely didn't think about how to uh, approach the conversation very well, for sure. I will say that if this was set in the mainline Harry Potter series instead, I think the house elves would have been, or M would have been more conducive to Alex's order here because it seems like in the mainline Harry Potter series, the students can essentially ask the house elves for whatever they want and still get that. I wonder if, if M is... Like we saw Dobby is kind of a you know, a free elf, whatever. He's kind of self sufficient or whatever. I don't know how how you want to say it, but maybe M's kind of along the same ways where she 
doesn't really care about the students bidding. Whereas in Harry Potter, we saw the elves kind of, like you said, ready to do whatever they wanted. So maybe we're seeing a little bit more elves taking their rights more seriously. I don't know. It's a possibility. Regardless of all this conversation, what ends up happening is Alex says the wrong thing to M the house elf, and M does some kind of elf magic and roots Alex to the spot so she can go get an adult or I guess one of the faculty of the school to come deal with Alex. And after M leaves, somebody tries to kill Alex again, or at least I assume that's what's going on here because all of a sudden she's being strangled to death. Yeah, my thought was um, when M went up, she probably apparated up, you know, find one of the custodial staff. My thought was, oh, she went and found Theo, and then Theo was like, because he is not a student, he's actually a faculty member, could order her, you know, go try to kill Alex. And then because we see, like, a popping sound in the behind Alex, and that's, like, why she turns around. And then, I don't know, it just... That it would seem logical to me, especially given that I think Theo is a government operative. But the the popping sound is an indicator that somebody apparated in behind Alex, right? I mean, that's what yeah. I would think. Yeah. Do we know if Charmbridge has these anti-apparition laws that Hogwarts seem to have? Well, we certainly don't know yet if it does, because we haven't had to deal with apparition really until now. My the reason I thought it was that the elf that did it was because she apparated. Like, she rooted Alex's spot and then apparated to go find a faculty member. Right. That's that's kind of what I'm wondering, too, is because at Hogwarts, the only things that can apparate around the school and within the grounds are the house elves. If that works the same way at Charmbridge, then... And Dumbledore. Well, and Dumbledore, but he wrote the rules, so... And Lilith Grimm. Have we seen her apparate? I mean, why couldn't I guess she? within the school, rather. Yeah. We haven't, but... We haven't seen really anyone apparate. It's true. It is true. I would say regardless, somebody obviously tried to kill Alex once again, and as it seems to be happening more and more frequently, Mr. Journey is there to... He didn't really save the day maybe here, but he is there when Alex wakes up from this attempted murder. And... I'm wondering if Alex is like, why is it always you that I see first every time? Yeah, that's an interesting point. She also, or notably, Theo is also there. And what I found curious about his behavior was uh, M was bawling her face off because she said, you know, I'm a bad elf. I deserve to be punished, which I guess I initially didn't find it odd. And then I thought about it and I was like, why would the house elf who was doing her job feel bad like I'm sure Journey had instructed her hey if students come down in the basement come get me kind of thing and my only thought would be that Theo like I said instructed her to kill Alex and she failed and she failed yeah that's interesting my initial reaction to that was more along the lines of M rooted her in that place and so she's upset that doing that caused a student to be harmed in some way that was my take as well. Yeah, well, but, that, that's how it was at first, and then I thought about it some more, and I was like, I don't think she would. I don't know. This is a nice kind of little conspiracy that you've got going on, actually. With yeah, <laughs> you've been pretty consistently saying it's Dean Grimm who's the one trying to kill Alex, and now you've got 
in just the last five minutes, you've accused both Mr. Thiel and M. The House Elf. So that's an interesting change, maybe, that we have going on here. Well, I, to I, be fair, he moved away from, I think, Lilith being the killer, like, two episodes mm, ago in the yeah. prediction. Kind of when Thiel, uh, let's see, it was like when she had the detention with Thiel, and he was, like, onto her, you know, yeah. like, got her plan or whatever. I don't know. Baylor does not like Josh Allen. I like Josh Allen. Not Just, as Thiel. Yeah, no, no. I am so happy Josh Allen is a running gag on this show now. <laughs> <laughs> right in, Josh Allen. Please don't. <laughs> so you were talking about how you found Thiel's behavior here interesting towards the house elf. I found his behavior towards Alex also interesting because he's the only one who seems to be speaking sense. He's like saying, oh, you almost died. You should probably go to the hospital wing. You should probably go to the nurse's office. Yeah. And everybody else is like, no, don't do that. Even Ben Journey's like, why would you want to do that and involve Dean Grimm more in our lives? I think Ben is scared of Dean Grimm. Like, he did not have a fun time when she said, I'm aware you're not a D or a certified <laughs> D-jinxer. So since then, he has not wanted to talk to her. That's got to be the only thing that makes sense, right? Yeah. I don't know. I Like, I, I got when they got back in the forest because he was, like, trying to be a bro or something, you know? Yeah. Like, when she he didn't send them to the principal's office then? See, I liked that office. because clearly punishing her over and over wasn't working, so he kind of, like, tried to cut her some slack, and it was like, oh, okay, like, at least it's a different approach. <laughs> yeah. So, do we, is there anything weird about the fact that Journey in this moment is doing that again? He's again protecting Alex from punishment, even though the last time he did it, he said, next time, I won't have a choice. I think it depends on what he knows. Does he know that the last time Alex went to the dean's office that she beat the shit out of her? That's true. Because if I was a teacher and I knew that was happening, I would not be sending people to the dean. We see some of these qualities in him, actually, be in, even in this scene where Theo is treating M the house elf pretty poorly and journey snaps it's like one of the times that we see him yell and he tells Thiel to knock it off because house elves don't have a choice so you might be right he might think that Alex has already been punished enough and that it won't do any good to send her back there even though he threatened to last time yeah and I mean if you really want to expand into it I mean one of the portraits is what told Lilith to stop beating Alex's hands who probably cleans the portraits that's true <laughs> probably the custodial staff. I don't know. I just think Journey, is Journey at this point, Baylor, a bigger character than you thought he was going to be? He disappeared for like 10 chapters in the middle of this book, and we now he's he in gone. every single one. We thought he got fired. Something like that. Yeah. I, I would say so, yeah. I I mean, I, you know, it's kind of like Hagrid, I guess. I know Hagrid kind of plays a bigger role in the Harry Potter series than journey has played i guess but um like hagrid doesn't show up in every chapter of harry potter right and he's just kind of that at least in the first couple books he's kind of the the staff relief or whatever i don't know how you want to say it but so i guess i thought journey would kind of serve that similar role especially with how friendly he's always been towards alex i don't know i'm saying i don't know a lot i do know fans I know we've said in our last, like, three recordings that we haven't talked a ton about the original series recently, which has been nice. 
But I think that's another difference between Alex and Harry, is Alex doesn't really confide in anyone. Like, Harry has Hermione, Ron, to an extent Hagrid, to an extent Dumbledore, and Alex won't even tell Anna half the shit that's going on. It's true. I mean, we see that with Harry sometimes as well. Uh, like, when he's in fifth year and he's in detention with Umbridge, he refuses to tell anybody what she's doing to him. But for the most part, he relies on his friends a great deal more than we see Alex doing. Yeah. Like, to the point that later on in this chapter, Constance and Forbearance and David are all, like, pretty mad at Alex that she hasn't brought this thing about the registrar's office up to them. She hasn't said anything to them about it. And I think if it's Harry in this situation, the closest people to him probably know what's going Hermione on. Hermione and Ron know. Whether or not in later years Neville and Ginny know might be up for debate. But Ron and Hermione definitely know. Yeah, and I think the only reason Anna really knows anything is because she has, at this point, stopped being passive and has started saying to Alex, what are you doing? Let me help you. Right. I thought something interesting about this interaction as well, because really it wraps up with Journey saying, promise me you're not going in my basement anymore. Promise me you're not going to abuse house elves anymore. <laughs> promise me you're not going to accept any dares from Larry Albo anymore, which he's saying that because that's her excuse for why she's down in the basement to begin with. That's how it wraps up, basically. But we find out that Journey calls Anna Blossom. And I wanted to bring this up mainly because I have gone this whole book, even upon my second or third reread, whatever this is, assuming that he calls all the students Starshine. And that's not the truth, apparently. He has a nickname for all of them. And it turns out that Anna also hates it when he, when he calls her Blossom. So I guess there's a couple things that are universal about Charm Bridges. One of them is... One of them is that Journey will give you a nickname, and the second one is that Dean Grimm will uh, beat you within an inch of your life if you make her angry. This might just be me being on my third read through these books, but I thought that he had called Anna Blossom pretty early on as well. It's possible, and I'm just forgetting. I just, for some reason, was under the impression that all the students were starshine to him. Yeah, I, I think he says something to that, but I also thought that in the same area... He did call Anna Blossom, and I i mean, maybe he just meant he has nicknames for all of them or something, I don't know, but I would have to go back and check that out to find out. He's just an interesting guy. You know that? He really what did is he call an interesting guy. I think he called uh, Larry Youngblood. Youngblood, okay. Yeah. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to say it and sound really weird if it wasn't <laughs> the case. <laughs> so, it is an odd habit of his to, to have these nicknames, but... When I was a teacher, I had a nickname for almost every student as well. But, And so I don't think it's that weird. I think that that's somewhat normal behavior. I just thought he was using the same one for everybody for some oh, reason. Yeah. Okay. I uh, was kind of happy to see that it's not only Alex that dislikes this. Yeah. Evidently, he might he must be a little bit weird or a little bit creepy seeming or something because that's – I have to assume that's why a lot of the characters are like, please quit calling me that. Yeah, I mean, I can't really, I didn't really have any nicknames growing up like that, especially put on me by adults, so I don't really know how I would feel about it. Oh, but you don't need nicknames because your name is fun enough to say as it is. Right, right. I mean, I guess I went as Bob throughout part of middle school. Sure, I people called you Frogbert for a while. True, true. 
or Wayne. Bob. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, Those are the dark times. Bob. Why did people call you Bob? Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, interesting. My band teacher in seventh grade, not sixth grade, that band teacher was awesome, but my one in seventh grade heard my name and said, I want to call you something else <laughs> in front of a class of 200 middle schoolers or That's incredible. That is and incredible. And I was like, well, call me Bob. And he did for the rest of my band experience. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Didn't like that teacher very much, believe it or not. Well, I'm never calling you Delbert again now. So. Ah, do not call me Bob. Call me anything else. <laughs> okay. Back on track. We we have that interaction end, as I was saying, and then the next thing that shows up is essentially just a small scene that reaffirms Alex's commitment to breaking into the registrar's office, even though she promised that she wouldn't. And I think that's only in there to show that how important this issue is to Alex. Yeah, I mean, she's committed, which is, once again, I think her right to do that. Alex is so committed that she actually takes the time to make a well-thought-out plan now, in my opinion. Yeah, she does a little recon, which is pretty cool. She does sneak through the school, which means she has to sneak past Miss Marmsley the portrait who is acting as the security guard outside of Dean Grimm's office. And I think this is interesting. We see this in the Harry Potter, the main series as well. Uh, when Alex goes to sneak past Miss Marmsley, Miss Marmsley is asleep. And that makes me question how effective portraits are at really being your protector of stuff. You don't want other things to get involved with. And, why do the portraits have to sleep to begin with? Again, how much humanity exists within these portraits if they have to sleep? I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen a portrait with immense power kind of be useless. I, I agree. Mean, the fat lady who opens up an entire common room for seven years worth of students in Gryffindor just ran away to some other portrait for a while. <laughs> it's true. I I just, this is a little bit off topic, but again with the fat lady, at one point Harry... Ron and Hermione leave the common room after hours, and Hermione doesn't want to. And when she turns around to go back in the common room, the fat lady's not even there. She's just gone. <laughs> so Alex being able to sneak past Miss Marmsley, I think it's written to set it up as this big like heist-type situation. And in my mind, I'm going, well, yeah, if they sleep, then it's not that difficult. I mean, you could even do it the other way with what Filch did, at least in the movies, where he just turns the picture to the side and they just fall away. <laughs> yeah, they turn the picture to the side. In the books, all Hermione does to Phineas Nigelis' portrait is cast a spell to put a blindfold over top of where his eyes would be in the portrait. Like, I just think if I'm Dean Grimm and I know Alex is about and I don't want people sneaking into certain places, I'm probably not going to put all my, ba all my eggs in the basket that is uh, Miss Marmsley in this situation. You would think that a person, like, patrolling would be a bit better than the portrait. Also, the people in this book can do magic. Yeah. There's got to be something magical that they can just draw a line and say, oop, somebody crosses this, I get a little notification. Or, listen, you know, if you can make a circle in stone that if somebody goes across it, turns them into a senior citizen instantly, surely there's an alarm spell. I'm an expert 
in wizard magic because I am a level 8 wizard in D&D. There's a level 1 spell called Alarm. Everyone should know that spell. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Dolores Umbridge knows that spell. True. True. See? So, regardless, this has kind of been a rant, but Alex sneaks past Miss Marmsley because she's asleep, which, good for Alex. And what she does after she gets past her is she proceeds to immediately find the registrar's office. It's like the easiest the easiest recon mission you can imagine, and it really makes her foray into the basement seem kind of silly. Yeah, just a big door that says registrar's office. <laughs> exactly. On. I thought Alex, first time I read this, and you can tell me if you felt this way, Baylor or Delbert. First time I read this, I thought Alex was going to use rhyming magic. I can't remember the official term. Yeah, doggerel verse. Doggerel verse to just break into the door right now. I really thought she was going to. I'm yeah. surprised she didn't. I, do you think she would have if Grimm's cat didn't show up here? Well, it even says she's thinking of rhymes before the cat shows up, so I think mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I, I kind of was of the same idea. I also think that Alex kind of thinks that Galen has some kind of connection to Dean Grimm, like uh, we saw with uh, Norris and, and Mr. Filch. Maybe Dean Grimm is a animagus. That turns into a cat. So she got a cat that looks just like her to like mm. make people think that it's oh, just interesting. her cat. That is interesting because the cat shows up and Alex proceeds to return to her dorm room where Anna's waiting for her. And Alex tells Anna that it was pretty easy. And Anna says, yeah, it seems like it was too easy. And that's what I'm thinking, too, is it seems like it was too easy. It's also a records room, right? Like, <laughs> it might seem too easy, but how many people would want to break into a records room or a registrar's room? Like, it's not a ton to be, you know, gained from doing that. <laughs> I was I was just thinking that because, I like, it's off limits to students, but I don't get why it would be off limits to students because all it says is their name. Yeah. On the scroll. Yeah. I would agree Aside from the fact that they obviously don't want Alex in there. That's true. You know, so in this moment, if security was beefier, I think that would make sense. Also, why do traditional locks exist in the wizarding world? I don't know. I don't even think that would be a thing. Now that you've brought that up, I don't know. They're for Mr. Filch. Like, do you think, (laughs) do you think Ben Journey carries around keys or does he just use a Lohomora? You would think they all would, maybe. I mean, yeah. I guess because it keeps the door closed? I don't know. I mean, I would imagine there's a better way than using a deadbolt lock or something. Huh. That's a good question. Is is Alohomora a difficult spell? Because I don't, I don't think I mean, Alex knows it at this point. Hermione was talented, but she still knew it in the first half of her first year. Okay, and that isn't even a lock with a keyhole. Yeah. At least the way they show it in the movie. It's a lock that somehow you're supposed to open from the outside when the bar that goes across the lock is only accessible from inside the door. Yeah. That's an interesting door now that we talk about it, too. Again, it's the movie, but yeah. still, I agree with you. Why do they have locks? It's weird. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Magical locksmith. That's a job no one calls for. <laughs> <laughs> so they discuss how it was easy, or maybe it was too easy, and then the next morning... 
we have another confrontation between Alex and her friends. And we've talked about this a little bit where David, Constance, and Forbearance, it seems like they're just tired of Alex's shenanigans at this point, And they're 100% trying to protect Anna. They're telling Alex, you know, Anna is very nervous and is involved in this because of you. What's the deal? And I think Constance and Forbearance are so concerned about Anna that that's why that that's why they're telling Alex, why don't you ask us for help too? I'm thinking that they're like, well, if we can help, maybe it will be easier for everybody and Anna will get in less trouble. Yeah, I mean, they've spent the whole year watching Alex get in trouble and Anna be a byproduct of that trouble. And they don't even know why. Like, <laughs> from their perspective, Alex is just a bad person. Because she's doing all this without any reason. So at least they finally try to get the reason out of her of why she's doing everything she is. That's interesting. Why are Constance, Forbearance, and David even friends with Alex They right shouldn't now? be. Narratively, they shouldn't be, I don't think. Is it just because in the future, the author needs them to be there for Alex? or? I mean, you could argue, I guess, that Alex defended them all in various different situations, but... Is that really going to keep you friends with someone forever? I mean, I don't know. If if the only time you ever needed me or talked to me was shortly after you had gotten in trouble and needed my help to get out of it, I wouldn't be your friend. I would think you were a fool. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I, you know, I'm trying to think of a of what I got out of this conversation between these between Constance Forbearance and David and Alex, and. I still, I still don't quite get what they were even trying to get out of, of the conversation. Also, I, question. I know they're only 11 or 12 or whatever, but anytime Constance and Forbearance are mentioned, David Washington's with them. What's going on there? I'm wondering if they're just rounding him up when they go to confront Alex because there's strength in numbers or because he was really Alex's first quote-unquote friend in this whole thing or... He's once again, he could just be there because the author knows that he'll need to be around in the future. Eh, I think one of them have got a crush on the other one. So who has a crush on who then? Either David on one of the twins or one of the twins on David. Yeah, who who has a crush on who? I don't know. So far in this book, <laughs> I haven't been able to distinguish Constance from for, forbearance. That's so. true. Well, they, <laughs> they, they've been one person. Yeah. They've essentially been one character. I know later on they get distinguished a lot better, but so far in this book, they uh, kind of seem just like a clone of each other. They're very much, I mean, they are the Fred and George. Yeah. They're not the comic relief, but Fred and George in the first couple books were also one character. Yeah, I mean, it really took losing an ear and dying for those two to be separate. Essentially. Yeah. I would say that it, you guys are probably right, especially since you've read ahead in this series, uh, obviously. True. But uh, I would guess that they're going to be more involved later because they're, they're not really involved at this point. And especially Alex is like, I don't want you involved. They I will w- be more involved. In I future. will say, I've we've read this series twice, right? You read it twice over, Brady? Yeah. Um, I didn't re- like realize until this podcast and reading through again how diverted those characters are. Like, they really are not main characters in this book. I agree. I mean, reading this book chapter by chapter like this, if you had asked me before we started this podcast how important Constance and Forbearance and David are to the plot of this book, I would have said they were essential. Yeah. But 
really you could take them out and you're in the same place. But really, the three stars of this book so far, and one of them's been a little vacant recently, have been Alex, Anna, and uh, Larry Albo. As far as kids go. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you do Alex, Anna, Larry Albo, and then Dean Grimm and Ben Journey, those are the only five characters that you really need. Yeah. My only thought why this makes sense is because... I guess I don't know specifically, but I would guess Constance and Forbearance are probably in a different, uh, you know, suite or whatever they call them. Um, they are in a different dorm room. Yeah, because the one that a- Alex and Anna have is shared with Darla and Angelique. Yeah. But even they aren't mentioned very right. much. Well, they're annoying. That's Personally, <laughs> but uh, I just think like Anna and Alex, because they do share a room, they just have formed a much deeper connection and... I guess that's why it makes sense that she's requesting help only from Anna. And yeah. I agree with what you're saying 100%. I, I do, just, too. It just it did not live yeah. in my mind that they were such, like, pushed-away characters. That's yeah. exactly right. One. The way that yeah. this book lived in my mind is that Constance and Forbearance were by Alex's side all the time. Right. When, when they're really not. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I even said very early on, and maybe I shouldn't have, Constance and Forbearance are, like, my favorite characters in this entire series, mm-hmm. up to what I've read. And they really have not gotten a chance to even exist in this book. It's true. <laughs> so, bummer for me. But that means, and its I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that they do get more involved as the series progresses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It ends with Constance and Forbearance threatening Alex to say, if there's anything that happens to Anna, we'll make sure something happens to you also. Yeah. And Alex goes... She says, so will I, meaning that she'll punish herself? I think so. I think if, you know, Dean Grimm's threatened to, like, whip Anna and beat Anna and probably expel Anna at this point, and Alex is just waiting for one of them to actually happen, and then she'll feel bad. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my my thought. That's what I meant by a couple chapters ago, you gave me a weird look, but I'm like, I think Alex wants Anna dead. Like, that's what it's going to take for her to shift her <laughs> intentions. I, I kind of thought she was like, yeah, I'll hold myself responsible. Because she says, if anything happens to any of you also. So, yeah. I don't know. I think she's protective over all of them. I think so. I think she does care about all of them. It's just, It's just interesting now that we're looking at it deeper that three of the five main kids that we see in this don't really exist in this book necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I know we talked about this briefly before we started recording. There was more to this chapter than I thought. Like, we talked quite a bit about it, but this feels, again, like another filler chapter, and I'm really excited for the next few. Yeah, this is, as far as I know, the last chapter where it feels like the information is just existing, and in the next few chapters, Baylor, we're going to get into some pretty heavy action which is nice considering there's only what four chapters left in the book or five maybe four after chapters this? left and five unless Baylor this. has some massive insight we don't know who's trying to kill Alex we don't know why they're trying to kill Alex and uh, we, we don't, don't have any information about we don't know who Alex is right we don't have any information leading us to further figure out who her father is we still don't know what Thiel's role in the school is like there's a lot of things going on here. We don't know why whoever's killing or attempting to kill her in these roundabout ways isn't just killing her directly. Exactly. We there's still a... don't know if there's a creature in the woods. 
there's a lot of unanswered questions at this point. So it's exciting going forward. Uh, but that is the end of the chapter. And so I think we should cast somebody. We're casting him. The new new character for once. Voice actor. Woohoo. Nice. That sounds uh, like a good plan. And it's a voice actor because, of course, M is a house elf. And I would never go so far as to cast a real person for a live action representation oh. of a house elf. Well, I was going for live action with Danny DeVito. Okay. Cool. No, I'm kidding. Um, But yeah, voice actor we're going to do. I'll start us off this week. I was going to go with, oh, I can't even remember her name now, but she voices Bart Simpson. I think her last name's Wainwright or something like that. But I decided I didn't want a Bart Simpson in my movie, so <laughs> I asked that idea and instead went with Ashley Johnson from Critical Role and The Last of Us, and she does some live action stuff that I've never seen, but very well-established actor and voice actor in uh, Hollywood. Again... Obviously, the audience knows by now that you and I, at the very least, are big fans of Critical Role, yeah. and so I can't, I can't fault you for casting somebody from the Critical Role cast. And Ashley Johnson is uh, my favorite cast member, actually. So I think it's a good casting. Yeah, from what I have experienced from their work, I think it's a great casting. Lovely, Baylor. How about you? Yeah, so I went a little bit of a different route. Uh, I'm really into audiobooks. Oh, so okay. Lots of voice actors that do audiobooks, obviously. I would um, say exclusively. Indeed, yes. Uh, <laughs> I would, I just to throw back to, you know, good old original Harry Potter, I think good old Jim Dale can step up and and portray him in, in a great way. It's a perfect casting, in my opinion. I have no idea who Jim Dale is. Shout He's out He's the him. narrator of the Harry Potter audiobook series. I thought it was Stephen Fry or something. Jim Dale's the American version. Oh, I see. And... Stephen Fry, I think, is superior, but Jim Dale's great. So. Okay. I don't listen to audiobooks, so it's tough for me to relate. Sure. I'm sure he's awesome. He's awesome. If, if you Google Harry Potter audiobook and listen to a preview, it's most certainly Jim Dale. Lovely. Yeah. He's He really is incredible. So Nice. Well, shout out to you, Jim Dale. If you want to be on our podcast, email us. Absolutely. <laughs> Without question. I don't even care what you're promoting. Well, there's a few things that are off limits. Uh, but we for can discuss Jim Dale, those. Yes. Come on now. There's a few things that are off limits for anybody who comes <laughs> on this podcast. Jim Dale, if you have an energy drink you want to uh, talk about on our <laughs> podcast, wow, let great. us know. We're back to the beginning here. Brady, who did you cast? I had a hard time choosing. And then I remembered that one of my favorite animated characters of all time is Edna Mode from The Incredibles. And so I went with. The person who voices Edna Mode, Brad Bird. Nice. Uh, I kind of just hope M is the house elf version of Edna Mode. I could be wrong here, but I think at some point I learned that Brad Bird, who voices Edna Mode, was just the director for The Incredibles. Yes. Okay. He yeah. at, at the very least, he created Edna Mode and voiced her. I like when people do that. Sure. Like Taika Waititi with uh, Thor Ragnarok mm -hmm. and then also voicing Korg. Yep. It's lovely to see. I also enjoy how two of us went with uh, the opposite sex, like male actors to play female characters. Oh, Speaking true. of opposite sex. Yeah, that's something I wanted to point <laughs> out. When we casted for Bran and Poe, we had assumed that Poe was a female, 
But this chapter confirmed that that is not true. This chapter confirmed that both Bran and Poe are male because when M shows up, Alex is surprised that there's female house elves. True. Yeah. Good, so, good catch. I didn't even think about that. So we've now learned that Bran and Poe are both males and M is a female. Yep. Might have to uh, fix that casting in our final episode. We've also <laughs> learned that Alex has a distinct lack of understanding of how species propagate. I was just going to say she has an, she missed the biology lesson, sixth grade biology. You know, I mean, you never know. House elves might be reptiles. They might be. They might just lay eggs. There's still got to be not. still got to be something there to you know. Uh, fertilize them yeah so maybe <laughs> i mean i could go all day talking about this but i don't True. think we should yeah, so. a little bit of biology in there <laughs> so that's our casting and apology to poe section of the podcast Indeed. <laughs> let's have a really quick rundown since i've already forgotten who did you cast Delbert? i cast ashley johnson right baylor and jim you did dale. and i did brad bird yeah excellent and that's jim dale not to be confused with jim davis creator of garfield exactly yeah <laughs> i don't know if there was any confusion already but <laughs> There now, was in my mind. Now so. that that's cleared up. Uh, <laughs> before we get to the prediction, I remembered something we forgot at the beginning. The socials. The socials, yeah. yeah. So I figured I'd shout those out real quick. I didn't uh, really forget them. I was just going to have you do them before we signed off. All right. There we go. It's all right. Do it now. You brought it up. Yeah. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, at the underscore RM podcast. We're on Facebook, the Remedial Magic Podcast. And our email is remedialmagicpodcast at gmail.com. This can all be found in the description and also our link tree. Thanks. Yeah. Love you. Google us. We pop up. It's true. Exactly. We we pop everywhere. Yeah. All right. Baylor, why don't you hit us with your the prediction you made last week about the chapter we talked about today? Alex and Anna will break into the registrar's office. They will look at the registrar scroll and see that it is edited, but Theol will catch them in the act because he is an operative of Grimm or the the Governor General and has been keeping guard on the registrar scroll. All right. Well, if we were grading this prediction this week, it would be the worst grade possible. No, probably. it wouldn't be. They didn't break into test. nothing. She tried. No, she didn't her. try. The cat caught her. She didn't do it. I mean, you're right, but... I would say she didn't try. Thiel didn't catch them doing anything. If we're going that strict, then Baylor should have a hocus-pocus average right now. Listen, my opinion is that we just shouldn't grade this until next week. I agree, and I still don't think it would be a squib testing recommended. I think we'll just issue a stay of execution until next week. Okay. (laughs) I I would hope so, since I had assumed that the the break in the mass... uh, breaking you know the heist of the registrar scroll was going to happen this chapter when in fact it didn't right so i would hope you guys would give me a break and and to be continued kind of on the prediction there i am 100 percent okay with taking a pause on grading this one until after next week's chapter which is in fact titled the registrar's office seems like a solid choice to delay this grading for sure that being said Baylor, why don't you go ahead and give us your prediction for Chapter 25, The Registrar's Office. Excellent. So this one kind of builds on last week's prediction because I, I would expect I was, it to. I was hoping you guys would give me a little bit of a stay there. Um, so, yeah, I'll bring in, carry my prediction forward from last week. Um, 
and Alex and Anna uh, break in. Um, they do discover that Alex's name was edited, and they get caught by Theo in the act. And I also think the reason why they don't want Alex in the uh, Registrar's Scroll office, because they assume she doesn't know the editing spell, is because there will be a folder with information detailing the investigation about her, her mom, and her f- potential father. Interesting. You think that it's being held at the school? I, I mean, you would think the registrar's office wouldn't just have names. I know we kind of talked about that earlier, but I would feel like it would have other information about students, and it would be it would make sense that any like uh, of Dean Grimm's um, worries about Alex would be held in this potential student folder. I don't. Maybe know. I'm here for that. I'm I'm going down a rabbit hole that I already know whether is true or not, but maybe. Dean Grimm's reason to go take Alex out for ice cream was to help her sister in investigating Claudia. Maybe she did a little of that. Interesting. Yeah. Then that would mean that there's reason for this investigation to still be happening 11 years after the obliviation. True. So that means that her father is potentially still alive. Hmm. You say the name is going to be edited. I did, yes. What's the name going to be? Uh, it's got to be Thorn at this point. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's got to be. Oh. Could you imagine if they unedited it and it was like Alexandria Octavia Brown? I'm and hoping. Like, yeah, and it just had nothing to do. None of this stuff had anything yeah. to do with Alex at all. Dude, I'm just ready for it to say Anna Thorn. Oh. Oh. What a Plot twist. twist. What a twist. Interesting. So, so they're going to look at Anna's name as well. I mean, why not? Sure. If you broke in for documentation, you better read the documentation. This has gone off the rails just a little bit. This pod's been a mess. (laughs) No, it's been great. I think this has been one of our best episodes yet, and I'm going to finish the episode with that statement, I think. So unless you guys have anything else to say. I actually want to hear something from our listeners. Okay. We came up with how dumb doors are in the wizarding world. We've also, surely we've all talked about this at some point, about why didn't Voldemort just create a horcrux and throw it in the ocean? What are some of the other dumbest plot holes in the wizarding world Ooh, that, that you can come up with? It's a great discussion question. Yeah. yeah. yeah nice. I want to reiterate and say we didn't say doors are dumb. We locks. said door locks Sorry. are dumb. Yeah, locks. It, and also, care to add any other muggle-like things that are used in the wizarding world? Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Like... What do they use in the wizarding world? Kind of cars in Alex Quick? Kind of? Like they're specialized cars? It's an interesting thing for people that are listening to the podcast to bring up, I think. I mean, they eventually start using some form of radio in Harry Potter. They do. Yeah. I had a couple words to add. Okay. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Good night. Good night.